Welcome back to the For the Ladies podcast. I'm so excited about today's conversation, which is a special Ladies of Golf episode. I had the opportunity to moderate a panel with Renee Powell and Susie Whaley for the National Links Trust Symposium on Municipal Golf. National Links Trust is dedicated to protecting and promoting accessible, affordable, and engaging municipal golf courses to positively impact local communities across the United States. For the Ladies actually hosted a intro to golf clinic at one of their municipal courses, East Potomac Golf Course, in April of last year, and it was amazing. It was so easily accessible for all the women, and I'm excited to see what they continue to do in this space. Regardless, they hosted their first symposium in early November to discuss the future of municipal golf and the impact those golf courses have on local communities. As part of the symposium, I was part of the Women in Golf discussion, where myself, Renee, and Susie talked about a variety of topics like women and girls' roles in municipal golf, economic and social impact opportunities with women, women in leadership roles, and so much more. If you don't know Renee and Susie, I introduced them at the top of the conversation, and they are incredible people who have made such an impact on the game throughout their careers. I was incredibly honored to be a part of this conversation, and I can't thank NLT enough for allowing me to share this conversation with all of you. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, everyone. I'm Abby Liebenthal, founder for The Ladies and senior manager of U.S. Open Fan Experiences for the USGA and host for today's Women in Golf panel discussion. To do that, I'm joined by two incredible women with immense influence and experience in golf and the golf landscape. Um, but first, the first woman elected to serve as an officer of the PGA of America, PGA Honorary President and PGA Master Professional, Susie Bailey, is the PGA Director of Instruction for the Country Club at Marisol in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. Susie has been recognized as one of golf's top 100 teachers in America and with the MGA's Distinguished Service Award in 2019. Her resume includes numerous other teaching awards. She's a five-time PGA Junior League Championship Finals coach and has instructed more than 300 children to collegiate golf. This summer, she was inducted into the Connecticut Golf Hall of Fame. I'm also joined by Renee Powell, who is one of the most resilient and preserving athletes of our time. In 1967, she became the second African-American woman to compete on the LPGA Tour. Following her time on tour, Renee dedicated her life to diversifying the game of golf. She's also committed her life to expanding golf to more youth, women, seniors, minorities, and military veterans. Renee has earned countless awards during her more than five decades in the game of golf. And some of those include the PGA of America First Lady of Golf, the LPGA Rolex for the Love of the Game Award, the PGA Tour Card Walker Award, and the USGA Ike Granger Award. Today, Renee is the LPGA PGA Head Professional at Clearview Golf Club, where she's keeping her father's legacy of golf for everyone alive. She was most recently named 2021 Northern Ohio PGA Golf Professional of the Year. Thank you both for joining me. Thank you Susie, for having us. Yes, Susie, I would love to just start with you and hear how you would introduce Renee outside of what someone could find in her biography. Amazing, resilient, fantastic, a mentor, a friend, a role model, perseveres through anything, optimistic, always, joyful forever, and probably my favorite human. Love it. And the same for you, Renee. I would love to oh my hear gosh. how you would describe Susie. Well, Susie Whaley is incredible. 
you know, she is, uh, she really does teach us a lot about living life fully. Uh, she's a, a, a wife, a mother, uh, and, and has raised two outstanding young ladies. Uh, she is, talk about resilience, Susie is, and to have been one of, uh, wow, one of the leaders, female leaders is in, the, not, not just in this country, but for the world, as she served as the first female president of the PG of America. I mean, she, and talk, talk about smart um, and um, just you know, really, really a very kind person. Um, and, you know, Susie can go anywhere. She can, one of the things that I love about her is that she can talk, uh, answer any questions just, you know, on the top of her feet, you know, she can just stand there and, and she can rattle off. It doesn't matter what it is, she can do it. But she also is a very, very uh, dear friend of mine. And I just, um, I just admire her so much. Well, I love having you both for this Women in Golf conversation. And women are certainly having a big moment in golf right now. Um, it, you guys have both worn many different hats in the golf industry and have a great understanding of the game. Why do you think this time is now for women in golf to be elevated and more women are playing? What What is it about this time? Uh, Susie, you can go first. Yeah, I like to think golf has always been the time for women. And, you know, I, I get incredibly frustrated that we always have to have a time uh, because the game is the game and the game is something we all can cherish regardless of gender, race, socioeconomic status, uh, sexuality. We have so many different dimensions of diversity to be able to play the game that I think Renee and I are so incredibly passionate about. I think now we have an opportunity, however, um, based on what really is a horrible time for most all of us being the pandemic, uh, that if there is a positive that has come out of um, so much heartache for so many, um, is that golf has become this respite for, for so many that had never even tried it, for people who had left it and wanted to come back, for people who love it already. They found an outlet in it. It was social. Uh, they could get some exercise. Uh, you know, I always label golf as kind of three distinct zones. You have the people who always want to win. You have the people that just want to escape, <laughs> you know, and be social. And then you have the people who just want to get their steps in. And, you know, we cover the gamut for all of that for families and generations. And so I think, you know, for us not to capitalize on this moment in time, to your point, Abby, um, would be something that uh, I would hate to see. Sure, sure. Anything to add, Renee? Well, you know, I, I think that, you know, I agree with everything that Susie said, but also I think that when when women see other women making progress and, and moving forward, and I think that one of the things with Susie serving and, uh, as a, an officer with the PG of America, which is, you know, I almost look at it as a fraternity because there are so many males and here is a female that has broken into the ranks and has... Um, you know, done something that nobody else has done. And I think that anytime women see other women being able to do something, it really does encourage them and it shows them that they too can do it. Great, great. Well, the first topic that I wanted to address with you guys, because we are here with the National Links Trust, is to discuss the future of municipal golf. So I would love to talk with you both about the role of municipal golf courses and welcoming women and girls into golf, um, as well as keeping them there. So Susie, what sort of programs or activities have you seen successful in keeping junior girls engaged in golf over time? 
Well, we have distinct programs now that are available for young girls, and that's really exciting. So we have LPJ USJ Girls Golf that has been around quite a while, but now they have a leadership links as well. It's integrating young girls into empowering them through the game, uh, through mentors and role models like Renee, um, through seminars and presentations and workshops. We have LPJ Girls Golf Clinics. Uh, we have PJ Junior League that invites girls and boys to play together on teams. And so there's these programs now that parents can look to as a group activity. But I also think for young girls, to Renee's point, the LPGA is a worldwide tour now, which is so incredibly exciting. Allied associations like the USGA, the LPGA, PGA of America, and the PGA Tour are really working collaboratively to ensure that we're making golf everybody's thing, that our print materials, our digital materials, our outreach, and all of our marketing has faces that look like somebody that might be watching. And to Renee's point of seeing someone to believe you can be them, that's critical for us, especially in the junior girls space. Um, I, I'm not gonna speak for Renee, but for me, I grew up playing on a boys golf team, not because I didn't want to, but because that was my option. And so I didn't know any better. That's just what we did. Um, I didn't play on a girls team until college. And so for me, it was just what we did. Today, what's so thrilling is if a young girl wants to play in a boys team, good for her. But if she wants to play with girls, there's an option. And, you know, I think for where I sit in this world of the industry, the $85 billion golf industry, um, we certainly can't ignore half the population. And we know that if junior girls grow, um, we will have more women playing golf for a lifetime. Yeah, absolutely. And Renee, what role do you see municipal golf courses, golf courses in general, uh, what role do you see them having in collaborating with programs like an LPGA, USGA Girls Golf or hosting PGA Junior League? Yeah, well, when I was growing up, you know, I mean, I always looked at municipal courses as, you know, city owned or county owned or, you know, courses such as that. And then we had the privately owned courses that were open to, for daily play, just like what Clearview is. But, you know, uh, there were so few programs for girls, for young girls back, you know, as, as I was coming up. And there certainly weren't any, um, there weren't scholarships for girls in, um, you know, college scholarships in, in my day. And so as I'm seeing so many different things grow now and, and uh, municipal courses are very important uh, as our daily fee courses. But, you know, courses where in, in creating programs, as uh, Susie has, has mentioned, the LPGA USGA Girls Golf, which has been going for a long, long time. And I've been involved very much, you know, for a long time with that too. And our PGA Junior League. So, and, and schools are now uh, continuing to get more girls and creating more girls golf teams where they didn't have that. Uh, middle school teams and girl and high school teams. I know in our local area, we never had a middle school team at the local school where I am. And last year, when everything was going on, you know, we got really encouraged girls to become more involved with, with golf. And we created a girls, it was girls and boys that got involved with the middle school golf team. And then this year, the school created a girls golf team and a boys golf team along with the middle school team. So it's been really, really exciting. And I think that if, you know, um, and they need, all these schools need places to play. And so as we look when going to many of our municipal golf courses, because there are many, many around the country, they are very important. They play a very important role um, because you can, you know, when from a price standpoint, you can keep it up at a point when where everybody and anybody can afford to play this game. 
Yeah. For, speaking from personal experience, I grew up playing when I was a young, like when I was young and I played in high school, I wasn't, I didn't have aspirations to play competitively beyond that. So there was this big gap in time where I kind of gave up golf. And then after college is when I decided to get back into it because I was working in the golf industry. But it's interesting to see, you know, how people certainly go through this ride of golf, this journey where maybe they stick with it for a bit, maybe they don't. But if there's ways that we can have touch points with people throughout their lifetime journey, Mm -hmm. we can hopefully continue to keep them. You know, Abby, to that point, uh, we recognize the fact that so many like you were leaving after high Mm -hmm. school. They didn't love the game, but just they weren't aspiring professionals or they weren't going to play at the college level. And uh, the PG of America really um, took that to heart. And we invested in a company called Next Gen Golf, which mm, is yes. collegiate level and also offers at municipal courses as well as public courses across the country, uh, what's called the city tours. And you have the opportunity to play. So my daughter is an example who has graduated from college a while ago, (laughs) Um, but now is back in business school, is playing in city tour events in Boston, where she had the opportunity to get her golf going again, to meet young people who she didn't know or connect with uh, in her community. And so they're using municipal golf courses and, and public golf courses just for that purpose, to get them back together, to bring community together, and to give the love of the game back to those who maybe didn't have a lot of financial resources uh, to play it at a private facility, but still love it. Yeah, that's awesome. That's good to know. Yeah, I think I saw the their like championship at Pinehurst last year. Um, right. That's so that's fantastic. And that's the great thing. It's like the more creative we are in coming up with these new programs, the better off we're all going to be. And I think, you know, additionally, I would love to just touch on for people who are coming into the game also later in life um, as either young professionals or later in their careers. Um, what kind of programming, maybe Renee, have you seen be successful for adult women um, who want to get into the game? Well, you know, we we have several have created here at Clearview, several different yeah. women leagues. And the one thing that I have found to be very helpful is there is a, a business women's league that we have. And it started off as a business women's group. They had yoga, yoga classes and and golf and reading classes. But what um, it what we did and it started out as like maybe I think about five years ago, six golfers and then we what I did was incorporated a a uh, and it was 17 weeks, but I incorporated a three hole ladies golf league. And so it was it was three holes. It was a six weeks. It's a six weeks instructional league, which really gets them into the game, you know, by them not feeling intimidated with the game. Because I think that if if I were just starting off to play the game and I went out to play nine holes, knew nothing about it to join a league, I probably would leave. Correct. <laughs> So, so the thing is, you know, is getting them engaged, getting them started, um, you know, from ground, you know, uh, at, at, at a basic place and um, getting them instructions early on. And they're getting instructions with other women that are business women, too, but also wanting to play the game and realizing that they can play it for a lifetime. They can play it as a for, you know, for business uh, networking or exercise. And then um, what we do is sort of get them included with the nine hole group. So we've gone from five years ago for six with six women to this year, we had 32 women and half of those women 
were really started off in the three hole ladies league. And so that's been a really great way of getting women into the game by them not by them feeling very comfortable getting into it. Because, you know, when you stand out there, you're an adult, an adult. you stand out to hit the ball, to swing, you look, and then you look back down, the ball's still there. Susie knows very well what you know we're talking about in instructing women, especially you know when they're you know when people are adults. It's one thing when you're when you're a child, you know, when you're a kid, and you know, and it's fun. But when you're an adult, you think, oh my gosh, did somebody see that? You know, and I feel very stupid about it because I can't hit this ball. So, um, so that's one of the things that we've done, and just really encouraging women to to get into golf from a group standpoint, you know, not just always, you know, some women feel comfortable taking private lessons, but also those who maybe feel a little bit, uh, um, you know, uh, don't feel so comfortable. And if you can get them into uh, a surrounding with, with several other women or group lessons, it makes them feel much more comfortable. And, you know, some great golf instructors. That's right. Well, and that that's something I certainly have noticed, um, you know, when there's a creative example of a program or an event that makes women feel comfortable, you can continue on that journey. Like it doesn't have Absolutely. to just be the clinics and play three. You can progress them as you did into the league. Um, and so I, th- that's where like maybe the group of people watching, you know, this would be beneficial to them. Is like, what do you, some of your women's programs look like and how maybe could you be a little bit more creative in coming up with a clinic and playing a few holes and developing it from right. there. And Abby, I will tell you this, that we started, it's a, it's a, a group that starts for, uh, for two hours. Okay. So okay. evenings, it's like six 30, eight 30 in the evenings. And then, uh, you know, after the six weeks and they're out and they're playing three holes, but I then also encourage them to continue to play as many holes as they can within that two hour time period. And what it mm. all that teaches them pace of play. So by the end of the end of the weeks, that they, you know, the league time, they're playing nine holes because it starts to get dark. And so, you know, they're hurrying along too. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. So not only it. are they learning to play the game in a very comfortable manner, but they're also learning a lot about pace of play. That's so interesting. Susie, have you seen any programs or been part of any programs that you have found beneficial to adult women? Well, you, Renee nailed it. And, you know, as so long as we can do little small successful first greets. Um, I think that's critical in our business, you know, to find where to go. I think that's always the first question I get, like where, I don't even know where to go. Like, who do I go see? Um, Mm -hmm. So on PGA.com, you can type in your address and your zip code and find somebody, a PGA professional who's trained and certified in over 800 hours of certifications uh, through our PGA program to help you. And then you can scan through what they offer at each of those, whether it's public or private or municipal facility, you know, what programs do they offer? And I would tell people that are new um, to look for the types of programs Renee are saying, something very, you know, in a short period of time that's going to offer some fun, um, some people like you who are new to the game, and then learning on course, I think, is a critical component as well. Mm-hmm. I think the other really important thing to navigate when you're just getting out as a female or a male in the game Um, We don't do a very good job, in my opinion, in our game like tennis. Um, When you join a a public club or you join a private club, when when you're a tennis player, you tell them what level you are and you're immediately placed on a team. 
you're immediately placed in a clinic with eight people who are hitting like you. You're immediately placed with a professional. And you so right away have somebody to chat with, somebody to kind of figure out what's happening or what's going on, somebody to share a family story with or children's stories with or business stories with. In golf, we say, okay, just, you know, we're happy to see you head off to the range. Right? You don't even know what the range is when you're new. You're like, well, what do I do with the range? So we have to do a better job, in my opinion, as professionals of putting people together and of saying, look, I'm going to develop this three-hole group. I want you to join. I think the power of the invitation is so incredibly important, um, especially amongst women, that when you get invited to something, um, it's so much more fun than when you have to go search for something. And so I would want people to feel that they've been invited and that it's welcoming and it's something that they want to return to because we can do a great first greet, but if we don't do it again and again and again, um, women are going to walk with their feet. There's plenty of other options uh, beyond golf that they can do with their free time. So I always feel incredibly valued when a female chooses to spend her hour with me or spend her two hours with me. And I want to make it this incredible experience because I feel really special that they've picked that time to be at that course. And I think if you can develop a culture at any municipal facility that develops that for people where they see that as their home, they see that as a respite, they see it as a safe place, they see it as a place where they can miss and they're not going to be judged. They don't have to wear the perfect attire. Uh, they can have sneakers on and they're good. They can wear, you know, their yoga pants because they forgot their golf skirt and nobody is going to blink an eye and just say, come on, we're just going to go play and have some fun. That's where we need to get to, in my opinion, in, in public golf, um, where obviously the traditions of the game are important to people like Renee and people like me uh, because we cherish those. But I also think the funnel has to be very wide in the beginning. And we have to set less standard rules and expectations for people who are trying desperately to join us. And all of a sudden we have these barriers up. So I think if we can eliminate those in the culture of the team that's working on the ground, in the culture of the facility, in everything you have on the walls of the facility, every person that walks in there should see something that they that resonates with them. If you just put championship holes up and trophies on your walls, the only contingent you're going to have playing golf at that facility is the people who want to win and compete. Totally fine to have those people there. But don't forget, you have people that just want to be social and you have people that truly want to just exercise. Have some pictures of people together on the walls having fun playing golf, not just your hardest hole and your most stellar hole. Because most women are going to be like, I can't play that hole. <laughs> I don't want to be on that hole. <laughs> and they'll just, you know, it's just not going to be something that they really enjoy. So, you know, long-winded answer, but um, I think it starts with culture. I think it starts with the team you put in place. And I think it starts with the experience that people have coming because they can choose something else. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I know as part of uh, for the ladies that I host, we host like a kickoff event, for example, and um, our, the course that we work out of a lot of the time is Walnut Lane in Philadelphia. It's a public facility who also hosts a lot of first tee functions and we host the kickoff event and then you have three weeks of instruction and then you play a, a like six hole scramble. And it's nice because it's a reason to come back. It's a reason to see your friends. And at Walnut Lane, they don't 
they don't really care what you show up in. You can wear your leggings and you can wear your athletic wear if you don't have a polo yet. But at the same time, we're also like kind of introducing new resources into that too. Like, hey, if you do want to invest in golf clubs, this is what you could look at. If you do want to invest in clothes, this is what you could look at. So I think all of those combinations of things are so important. And uh, there are so many good examples. So hopefully they just continue to expand. Yeah. And and as as Susie said, you know, I think a couple of very important points too are making it welcoming and making it fun. You know, making yeah. it enjoyable because if it's if it's enjoyable and it's if it's fun, they're going to want to return. Definitely. Well, one thing you guys kind of both mentioned is you know women are making the decision to come play, um, and as part of that, they're also making decisions that affect you know the economics of golf, the social impact of golf. And so, Susie, how have you seen women contributing to the growth of? We've seen equipment purchases go up, golf rounds go up, and lessons being taken. Those are all positive effects of the pandemic. Um, but how have you seen women specifically contributing to those factors? Yeah, I, I, I always laughed it about eight years ago, um, we put together a program called Connecting to Her. And what we talked about was the fact, which hasn't changed, by the way, that approximately, my numbers might be a little off, but approximately 88% of household's decisions are made by women. Um, and so if you think about that, and you think about the golf industry, and you think about the fact that the majority of the time in our industry, we have ignored the $73 trillion of wealth that women own around the world. Uh, which has gone up from about 53 trillion five years ago. So $73 trillion. And, you know, we oftentimes uh, market to women as this, as if this is a, a, a fun event that they've put on the calendar. So we should be glad for the opportunity. <laughs> right. I'm here to tell yeah. you that needs to stop. Right. Because any of us who have contributed to those household decisions or the buying power of the world, which we all do every single day, um, my cash looks exactly the same uh, as my husband's, right? And I can choose to spend it where I want to spend it. And I believe that in the past, the golf industry has done an extremely poor job of recognizing the fact that women have a lot of wealth to spend in our $85 billion industry. And if we stop ignoring it, that industry will absolutely explode. What women are doing now is saying, where are my clubs? I want three pairs of shoes, not one. Why don't you have more sizes? These clothes I don't care for, but I love these. Can you bring these in? And this younger generation of women are not tolerating the, the being ignored. <laughs> They're not tolerating uh, not having answers or more than one option uh, to purchase for their clubs. They know to get custom fit um, when they've been a part of one of Renee's programs or another LPGA or PGA professionals program. The answer to the test is I'm not good enough to get fit anymore. Women are realizing, well, that's not true. I'm going to be better if I do get custom fit and I'm going to spend less money because now I have something that's actually going to last for me. Um, So here's the good news. The good news is that mindset is changing. The bad news is it's incredibly slow to change. So we aren't where we are. And I would empower anybody listening that's a female to go someplace else if you aren't being respected and valued. Yeah. Something I've noticed too is if there's only one option or a piece of apparel, or there's not a great mix of apparel because we want to, I want to look good when I play golf. I want to be comfortable. I want to feel athletic and strong. 
I go to just non-golf brands and, you know, I'm going to a Lululemon or an Athleta or somewhere else where I'm like, it it can exist in the golf industry. We can create awesome products that are going to help me perform my best on the golf course. Um, So that that's been an interesting observation that I've made over time that maybe I just kind of like go by before. Now I'm on it. (laughs) (laughs) I have two uh, daughters in their twenties who feel the same way. (laughs) And not that Renee and I don't, I want to be athletic. I want to look great. Uh, So does Renee. And, you know, companies are trying to figure and navigate that out, which I'm excited about. It's the traditional golf space that is holding us back in some of that realm. Um, and I think we're, you know, we're advancing, which is fantastic. Uh, but to your point, people should have options that make them feel great, no matter their size, no matter their height. It doesn't, shouldn't matter. You should just feel great. And I don't, I want that to be the last thing you're worried about when you are a new golfer. I want you to come and be like, I I look amazing (laughs) and I'm going to play amazing today in Renee's club, right. Or whatever. Um, so we have work to do a lot of work to do, but we're gaining on it. Well, with that, um, spending power (laughs) that women have as well, I would say they also want to contribute to giving back to it. And I was wondering, Renee, have you just seeing in the rise of golf's popularity, has it also increased the interest of people wanting to change the face of the game, (laughs) give back to the game, you know, donate to golf and their purposes? Have you you seen a change or a shift (laughs) in that at all? No, take your time. You okay, Renee? <laughs> I think, oh, here, let's see here. Myself unmute. I think you just need to unmute yourself. Okay. That's okay. You're good now. <laughs> yes, okay, good. Yeah, and you know what? Um, you know, golf has, I've been playing golf for many, many years, obviously, and we have not been an extremely diverse sport. And so now, you know, we're finding more and more women of color and there are various organizations. There's Clemmy uh, Perry, who is uh, in, in Tampa, Florida, and she created a program called Women of Color Golf. Yeah. And she has done a tremendous job with that, getting more and more people in, into the game. Because when you when you go past a golf course and you look to see who is not there, not who is there, but who is not there. Who don't you see? You don't see as many women as we should see. And you certainly do not see as many people that look like me as you should see. Uh, we think so much about, uh, we th- if you're into golf, you think everybody plays a game, but only about 8% of our total US population plays golf. So it's sort of, uh, you know, that, that's a negative, but the positive is that when you have 90% of the public who doesn't play, what an incredible opportunity we have to grow this game. And I think that's where we need to look at. And we need to look at making sure that that as we go past a golf course that we do see, uh, you know, we, we do see en- enough diversity. And so as, as I look at things, there are more women that are uh, of color that are creating programs. There's uh, uh, girls golf with Tiffany down in, in uh, Atlanta and so many that, you know, because people didn't think that they could play the game. Uh, I 
played the game because of the fact that my dad and my whole family made sacrifices so that I could play when he created Clearview. So I grew up on that side, but I also know that we have been uh, um, not been as welcoming as we should be in opening doors as quickly as we can. And so therefore, you see uh, people and women of color, they didn't think that they could play the game. And, you know, so for so long, we've had this stigma of that golf has been a rich white male sport. And that's not that's not true. And we are taking it to a completely different level, as Susie, you know, is talking about. And the one thing that that's, um, that Susie did as president of the PJ of America, you know, one of the things that was very important to her was diversifying this sport, diversifying it with women, diversifying it with with people of color. And she worked hard in making sure that that was something that was so important to her. We all knew it. Everybody knew it, you know, and. Uh, is, as I said earlier, it wasn't just people in this country that knew, but with, with Susie being where she was, you know, she opened doors for, I, I think, women throughout the rest of the world, too. Um, so it's, it's, you know, if you see somebody that you see a woman that you haven't seen before that is playing the game, if you see a person of color uh, who you have not seen before playing the game. That is really uh, a way that we are being able to grow our sport. You know, knowing that you're not going to uh, be looked upon or looked down upon because you're getting into a sport that you never played before. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot of growth out there and, and municipal courses are very important. They play a very important role in all of this. You know, making sure that those doors are open to everyone. So, um, you know, there's a lot of positive things that are going on now, things that that uh, were not this way a few years ago. And now, you know, I see a lot of positive changes, you know, and, and it's not just before, I, you know, it was sort of like a lot of talk. But now we're seeing a lot of people beginning to walk the walk, too. Absolutely. Yeah, I think um, what was really key to me is these groups are being created and it's wonderful. You have Black Girls Golf mm -hmm. at Tiffany and you mm -hmm. have all these amazing groups and then the access for them is also yes. part of that equation, making sure right. that they're able to get time at the driving range or be able to set up mm -hmm. their golf rounds of three or six or nine holes. So it is the combination of both groups coming together and then also the courses, you know, welcoming people with open arms. Yeah, because as you as you just said, it doesn't have to be an 18 round of, of a, you know, a round of golf. It doesn't even have to be a nine hole round of golf, but it can be a three hole round. It can be a six hole round, you know, but we're getting people into the game and and sort of changing the di dynamics of how things, you know, have been to be more inclusive, uh, bringing more people and in, uh, into the game and making them also feeling very comfortable when they come into the game. Abby, can I add to that? Please. Yeah. So I think, too, what's vital for facilities is to look at it kind of with a three pronged approach. Right. It's, it's, it's not just about those coming to play your facility, but why, why would they come play your facility? You have staff that's diverse and inclusive. Are you having vendor opportunities? Have you opened the door to minority vendors uh, at your facilities? Um, that's what we really took a strong look at at the PG of America. And so now we have vendor inclusion days, which are minority based. 
we ensure that we have resumes that are blind, right? That you don't know the name, you don't know the town um, for our headquarters staff. And, and if you think about that, it doesn't have to be in a company, right? It can be in a small local facility that you're having these same opportunities because for us at the PG of America, we have very few women members and very few members of color. And if you don't see somebody at a facility that you can take a lesson from that looks like you, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean you won't, but you would certainly be more apt to go if somebody looked like you at that facility. So what we hope to do, and you know, and I hate to speak for Brene, but she's been a huge part of growing this faction, is we need more people at those facilities that look like Renee and me. <laughs> we need more people um, to welcome this new group that we're hopeful will realize that golf absolutely can be for them. And it can be something that they play with their children and their grandchildren. They can use it for business. They can use it for their health. Um, but we, we have to do a better job of not just thinking about the people coming to the facility, but what we're building to have those people choose us. Mm -hmm. Boy, and, and to Susie's point there, you know, I as I talk to different groups and groups of color, when they say they go different places, they say, we don't ever see anybody in the golf shop that looks like us, you know, and that is so true. So, so it is not just consumer going out to play the game, but we must make sure that when they go to play the game, that they do see people that look like them in the facilities that are serving them. And what we've yeah. done, Abby, is we now have fellowships. We're raising money currently to have even more fellowships in all 41 of our sections that are specific to somebody that's uh, just graduated college, um, that has a minority background, that we are paying a, a full year of their work um, in the golf industry. It, they can never have touched a club in their whole life, mm -hmm. or they can be from a golf background to be eligible for those PGA fellowships. But when we have the opportunity to place a fellowship at a municipal golf course that allows the community to see that there's somebody working there that looks like them, that's when we see some real success. And we're, we're really excited about the growth in that program because we have 90% of our fellows have stayed in the golf industry since inception. And so- what are I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna actually just ask you what are other roles that um, fellows are placed into? So they might be placed in a section office. They might be placed in a, uh, depending on their college degree, a communications role at a facility, a membership director at a facility. Um, they may want to learn how to play golf and, and want to be a part of our programming and maybe work with juniors or the women or the adults in programming. Mm -hmm. They could work for a manufacturer. Uh, they can work for a foundation. Um, so there's multiple opportunities. Uh, you know, we're not I'm a teacher in the business. I'm a coach and, and a teacher and I love it. But our industry is so vast uh, based on what people want to be a part of that. There's so many opportunities, you know, at this point in time, you know, we're just diligently raising money to ensure that we can continue to endow and fund up to 41. Currently, I believe I could have this wrong. I may be one off. I think we have 19 fellows um, currently, which is exciting. We, we started with like four. <laughs> um, now yeah. we have and many companies now are coming to us, asking us how they can fund a fellow at a golf course or a golf company. And so it's become, uh, it's become very exciting. And then we also offer uh, minority scholarships, minority scholarships for our PGM university program, which is to 
be in a university, but also go through our certification program to become a PGA member. And that has grown as well. So when Renee said, you know, it's always been a little bit of talk and not a lot of action, while our action is small and nowhere near the amount it needs to be, we are moving forward. And that is something that I will continue. I'm the honorary chair of PGA Reach and our capital campaign. And every day I wake up thinking about who I can call to donate <laughs> to us because we're looking to do $40 million in our PGA Works pillar, which is our minority-based pillar. Mm-hmm. And one thing I want to add to that too, um, not just from the professional standpoint, golf professional standpoint, but also Another organization that's doing a lot with diversity is the Golf Course Superintendent Association of America. Mm-hmm. You know, so so when we look at different different ways to get into the game, you know, it's the maintenance side, the superintendent side, and there are more women now. There have been so few in the past, but there are more women realizing that they can go into that area of things too, and they are doing a lot with diversity and of of people of color and also for women. So, you know, there's our our industry is so vast, you know, um, and and again, like Susie said, there are there are individuals that they're doing interns with with uh, different people that are not golfers that know anything about golf, but they're learning about it and knowing that, you know, you don't have to just be a a tour player <laughs> that you see on television. There's so many different facets to the golf industry that that um, are important and that we can, um, you know, in getting people into it, we can, we can grow it. And just a lot of, just a lot of different careers. Yeah, yeah. Well, you both mentioned a little bit of, if you, if you don't see it, you can't always relate to it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, for us, our next topic was going to be about women in leadership roles and roles in the golf industry, which you both have touched on. And and I think for me, the only other thing I wanted to kind of ask about is how do we continue to to make sure that women are elevated to greater positions at companies throughout the golf industry and make sure that their voices are heard um, in those boardrooms and in those meetings so that we are developing products and services that are also tailored to women and people of diverse backgrounds. Abby, I think it's your responsibility um, to bring another female with you. Mm. So what I mean by that is um, when I elevated to an officer of the PGA of America, I knew my my very first task needed to be to get more women in the boardroom. So we have three at-large positions in the boardroom, um, two of which I placed females um, alongside, obviously, my other officers. We made that decision together, but that was critical to me. Um, I also uh, developed alongside of our board and our officers the opportunity to have an at-large position, which I placed Renee in immediately on our board, um, because I feel that strongly that if you are, you get an opportunity, whether, and you don't have to be the CEO or the president to do this, but if you get an opportunity to be elevated, be thinking about how you're going to mentor and advance somebody else, because I believe being a leader is empowering others to succeed. Mm -hmm. And if you're overlooking those that look like you, because you think there's only one spot for you, we will continue to be in the same place we're in in the golf industry. And I'll give you an example. When I first took a role, um, a a high role at a golf facility, there are very few women in high roles in golf facilities because very few women are the actual employers. 
And people tend to hire people that look like them. We all know that that's just fact. It's not any judgment. It's just fact. So we don't have enough women general managers. We don't have enough women executive managers. We don't have enough female directors of golf or head golf professionals or directors of instruction. That is starting to grow. And as that grows, as a director of instruction, I have an opportunity to hire men and women, obviously those that are qualified. But I'm here to tell you, I will not be the only female that works at my property. And when I first walked on that property, I had a member ask me if I let go the other female that was currently working there. And I said, well, why would I do that? Her experience, her credit, you know, everything she has is tremendous. The membership loves her. And he said back to me, but you're here now. So you have to realize how deep set this is in our industry and how, how you, it is absolutely inherent to the women and people of color that are in it to ensure that they make a seat for somebody that looks like them behind them, because that opportunity will not happen without that. Mm -hmm. Renee, do you have anything to add there? Yeah. Yes. Well, put. Yes. Yes. Well, and you kind of mentioned it too, Renee. It was a question I was going to ask you is have you seen women take on more roles at golf clubs like superintendents or um, golf, you know, in the golf course, superintendent world, grounds crew in the golf shop. Have you noticed that more over time? Well, you know, there, it, it, there have been, but it's been such a slow growth to mm. that. And uh, to Susie's point, you have to be very, um, if you're in a position, you have to make that effort to make sure that you do bring somebody along because otherwise it's not going to happen. And as she said, you know, people always bring their own kind along. That's what's, that's what's happened. You know, somebody, somebody knows somebody and, and they bring their, uh, their buddy on. And so women have always been left out. So when women finally crack that ceiling and we do have that opportunity to do the same thing, and it really is um, imperative that we do so if we really are serious about making a change and bringing more women into the into you know into the boardroom into wherever you know. Um, and I think that people over the last I don't know ten years or so, people then decided at, at different golf clubs. Oh, we you know I I think we need to maybe bring a a woman into the golf shop you know where they never had them before. So, uh, and as, as it was talked about before that, you know, women spend far more money than what the men spend, you know, they are the ones that are buying everything for the household, for the kids or whatever. So if, um, you know, we cannot, we cannot allow our game to be an island of just males, you know, where women are the ones that are doing so much. And so only, only when, those of us are in positions and many are are beginning to get in those positions now. And I think that more and more also recognize the only way we're going to make change is if we are cognizant of how and why we need to do it. And we just go out and we do it. And that is what's happening. It's a, it's a different, completely different cultural change today. Yeah. Well, before I let you go, I would love to hear some personal projects and passions that you guys have going on. Um, Renee, the hoodie for golf program has just been so much fun. 
and such such a success. I love seeing like who's going to be wearing it next. Um, but of course, the proceeds benefit both the LPGA Renee Powell huh? Fund and the Clearview Legacy um, Foundation. What are just some upcoming projects you have at Clearview? Well, you know, and that hoodie project is, has been so amazing. I mean, the LPGA has done such an incredible job, you know, from beginning in the middle of April. And that campaign is going to continue to the end of December now, to December 30th. Mm. And as the weather's getting cooler, more and more people need to go out and purchase those hoodies, you know. And Michelle Wee has been absolutely fantastic, too. Um, but, you know, one of the programs that I have been doing for quite a while now is a program that was started, created by the PGA, which is called PGA Hope, Helping Our Patriots Everywhere. And so the program that that was created here and a friend of mine that was at PGA of America, Bob Denny, had uh, come to me and said, Renee, you know, there are no golf rec recreational programs out there for women military veterans. And the fact that my dad had been a World War II veteran and that I had actually gone to Vietnam during the war, during the height of the war back in 1971 and with USO in support of our troops. You know, it really did lend, um, I have a big heart for, for our veterans, for who they are, for what they do, and the fact that women have been ignored. And so that has been um, one of my biggest projects of, um, you know, continuing to get more and more women, women veterans into the game, allowing them to, and it's a rehabilitative program, uh, allowing them to know that they can help, they can play the game of golf and all that it offers for them. So that along with the fact that we are doing some things to, um, you know, 75 years this year was since my dad built Clearview Golf Course, began building the golf course, um, a monumental time. And so what is also very, very important to me is that the, the legacy and everything of Clearview continues on for the next 75 years and beyond. And so um, there are several things that we're doing here, not only you know raising funds for uh, an endowment to allow that to happen for many years, but also creating a, a, an educational building here where we can really teach a lot, where we can educate, um, and I do a lot of programs for kids. We do programs for women, for uh, seniors, for minorities, and for military. And then the other thing is, you know, when my dad built the golf course back in 75 years ago, he was building a golf course. He wasn't thinking about irrigation. And so we've never had an irrigation, automatic irrigation system here, although we can only really uh, irrigate our greens. And it's by dragging hoses from place to place and putting them at, you know, four different spots and allowing them to, you know, to, to, uh, to water for, um, for hours. And, but the fairways don't get it because we have to rely upon mother nature. Uh, so that's another thing we're working on. So two or three major projects, which is the automatic irrigation system, the educational building and the endowment for the future. Uh, and because of the fact that my entire family, my dad taught us all how to play the game. Um, but my entire family has made incredible sacrifices over the years that have given me an opportunity to do what I've been able to do. And so my um, my obligation and my responsibility that I deeply feel is to making sure that things here are secure and endure for many, many years to come. Well, very busy, very busy, <laughs> but all, all is so exciting. I am an Ohio native, so I need to make my way over to Clearview. Great. Yes. Yes. Well, Susie, what, what projects are on your horizon and things that you're keeping your eye on? 
well, they pale in comparison <laughs> to Renee's and Renee's being incredibly humble. So what I do have to add is her PGA Women's Hope Program. Um, I, I have had the opportunity to visit um, and to be a part of her program on occasion. And these women, Renee has saved many of their lives. And this program is that special, but that's how special Renee is too. And because she started a Women's PGA Hope program, others around the country um, have started PGA Women's Hope programs as well. You know, I don't want to um, say the men's programs aren't important. They're just as critical uh, for these military veterans who have sacrificed so much for all of us. And, and we're just proud uh, to be a part of it. But Renee is humble and um, is dedicated so much to that program. I think I'll probably get it wrong, Renee, but I think she started with maybe five women and now has close mm-hmm. to 100. You're right. Uh, participating. I don't know if I have that right, Renee, but I think I'm close. And mm-hmm. that that is something that um, is a real legacy and, and something that the rest of us have to say, wow, um, that we have to respect that and try desperately to emulate <laughs> what this woman does um, and to realize how many doors she's opened for so many of the rest of us. So I'll say that first before I tell you what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, I am you know, still coaching because I love it. Um, I find great joy in the lesson T. I um, was there all day and uh, I just am an extrovert. I'm supposed to be with people most every day. So you can only imagine how thankful I was that I wasn't working remotely as a golf pro during COVID because I think I would have driven my entire house. Um, So for me, I just love relationships. I love being with people. And so everything I do is pretty much surrounded by that. Um, I'm getting ready to head out to a women's event that I host in Casa de Campo, Clemmy, and many of the women are coming uh, to that event. And that's uh, the beginning of December. So putting plans in place to make sure these women have the time of their lives, many of whom have played very little golf and some of whom have played championship golf, uh, many of whom are Fortune 500 company executives and many of whom have not had to work. (laughs) So we have this huge eclectic group uh, that will be amazing. So uh, plans in place for that. I'm doing some television now. Um, I used to do that a long time ago and have kicked that back in here. And then I'm doing some work in Washington for the industry um, to ensure that our messaging uh, is getting to our lobbyists when necessary. Um, As we've mentioned multiple times, how large the golf industry is, we also run into blockades. Um, and we want to make sure that people know that we're an incredibly um, a good resource of sustainability, uh, that golf courses work extremely hard to limit their emissions, to be great conservators of water. Um, and so we're constantly trying to make that clear in Washington so that at municipal courses and others, we can keep pricing down, uh, that the taxation rate doesn't explode just because of this perception that rich uh, people play golf, when in fact, the average price of a round of golf is $27 across the country and 70% of facilities across the country are public. So we need to just make sure that those messages are, are being told in a way that's being heard. Um, and I'm, I'm passionate about that because I'm passionate about the people who work in the game. I'm married to a gentleman who works in the game. I have a daughter who's trying to play professional golf in the game. I have another daughter who played college. We're just a nerdy golf family. (laughs) Um, And I um, am always busy with something to do with golf. But my primary focus is making sure that anyone I run into, I can get them the answers for accessibility. I can get them the answers for a program to start. 
and I can make them feel comfortable in that journey. Love it. Well, as someone who loves golf and loves seeing friendships, this was such an honor to be part of a conversation with you too. Um, thank you so much for joining me and thank you so much to anyone who's tuning in and I hope to see both of you soon. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us, Abby. Yeah, thanks for having us and for everybody watching that's a part of National Links Trust. Thank you for your support. Thank you for making this a possibility for so many. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Our original music is composed and performed by my talented and wonderful friend, Ryan Young. If you're looking for more from For the Ladies, visit us at ForTheLadies.net and on Instagram at ForTheLadies. That's F-O-R-E.